fast. available for this and then you can see where exactly the base is located in North Dakota with that um, extent map up there and you can see the Cheyenne River directly below um, Devil's Lake and that can get into some spillover effects when the lake hits a certain elevation uh, it's going to spill over into the Cheyenne River at 1458 feet and that will in turn cause flooding problems for the, the entire part of um, all callers are muted. All callers are unmuted. Just to give a little background about Terminal Lake, um, they're very dynamic systems. Um, uh, it it increases in size with precipitation, um, uh, depending on how uh, how much water is in the, the soil content around it. Uh, so you're going to have precipitation input and output, which is mainly by evaporation. So whenever uh, it's a bad year uh, for, uh, with rainstorms or snow melt and you have increased flooding, it's going to stay at that, that high elevation for a while. It's going to take a long time for it to evaporate and, and get back to a normal level. Uh, so that's what makes Terminal Lakes uh, so unique in their uh, in their uh, their system. Uh, so next slide. Uh, this is just a period of record graph showing uh, the different increases and decreases in water surface elevations of Devil's Lake. There are some pretty extreme differences where at one point the lake was eight miles away from the city of Minnewaukan in 1993 and now it's right in their backyard. It's it's actually overtaking uh, the school parking lot. So it just shows you how much uh, these systems can change and, and rapidly increase. Uh, so next slide. Uh, this is a table that uh, just shows how much money has been spent on the Devil's Lake uh, Basin area. Uh, there's been a total, and you know, this, these are, uh, take these with a grain of salt, but there have been uh, approximately $655 million spent from, since 1994 uh, into the 2011 season. Uh, and that includes uh, FEMA was spending over $44 million, uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, uh, rail repair, Department of Transportation, so you're raising roads. Um, um, I mean, there, there's a lot, a, lot of, uh, a lot of movement and coordination going on between different agencies, um, state, federal, uh, so a lot of money has gone into um, the flood protection and hazard management here. The next slide. Um, here you can see the differences between um, the Devil's like a spatial perspective uh, from 1992 until 2010. So you can see the upper basin increases dramatically and uh, the lake uh, just expands and it really is... Um, a 
huge, like, uh, 90 miles in width, um, thousands of miles of coastline. It, it is a, it is a huge expanding lake. The next slide. This is a map courtesy of FEMA, uh, actually done by Jesse Rizal, just to kind of give you more of the region and the area. Uh, you have the city of Devil's Lake, which is where um, the majority of the population lives in the, in the basin. Uh, you have the Spirit Lake uh, Native American Reservation to the south of Devil's Lake. Um, and uh, just to kind of give you more of a geography, uh, it's, it's about uh, 120 miles west of Grand Forks uh, and um, about 180 miles from Fargo, North Dakota. So next slide. Uh, so just kind of about Minnewaukin, um, small town on the west end side of the lake. Um, it's home uh, to the, the Benson County seat, uh, and the main industries are fishing and birding. Uh, if you look in the upper right corner of the slide, uh, that's actually a 29-inch, 9.5-pound walleye that I caught the very first time I went fishing. Didn't even know how to cast or anything, and uh, I pulled in that, that nice walleye. So there's a lot of good fishing out in Devil's Lake. And that's what Minnewaukin relies on um, uh, for their main industry. Uh, so next slide. Uh, this is just some historical background about the town. Uh, there was a steamboat called the Mini-H that delivered mail and passengers in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, and then the lake uh, dried up again and decreased dramatically in size, so um, that was halted. The next slide. This is where Hazus comes into play. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Hazus stands for Hazards U.S. Multi-Hazards, um, developed by FEMA uh, and also at the National Institute of Building Sciences for earthquakes. And then they branched out to two other models, uh, the hurricane winds and floods. Um, and it, it uses GIS to organize uh, different national data sets uh, and then combine that with um, a risk assessment methodology. So to ensure in better preparation uh, and decision-making uh, for local officials uh, and just really to account for better planning and, and, and management. Uh, so next slide. Uh, within HASIS, there are three different levels of analyses. Uh, level one, this is what you would use if you were out in the field and you needed something quick in the middle um, of a disaster, just something, uh, a report with generated numbers. Uh, a level one analysis would not be the most accurate, but it is something really quick and you can get it generated right away and you'll have something on paper to make a decision by. Level two analysis is probably the most common uh, because you're using uh, data uh, from the inventory, and then you're also adding in your own supply data. So, uh, in level two, it, it's just it's it's in more detail. Um, and then a level three analysis is where you're actually modifying the um, loss estimation model. So, you know, this gets into the damage functions uh, and uh, you know agencies and uh, large organizations, they take a lot more time to do and they, they have the resources to do a level three analysis. Uh, and this, this courtesy of uh, Craig Eisler, uh, 
he's a instructor at the Emergency Management Institute in Evansburg, Maryland. Um, great instructor. Uh, so next slide. So this is just kind of you know another uh, diagram showing the differences in the of level one, two, and three analyses. Uh, this study was a level two, a pretty in-depth level two analysis. Um, and the reason why uh, anyone who's familiar with HAZIS knows that, you know, underneath the flooding model, you have the coastal and riverine. There is also a Great Lakes section of it, um, but to apply HAZIS to a terminal lakeshore environment is pretty unique and, um, it, you know, you go into a lot more detail and Jesse Rizal at FEMA Region 8 was a tremendous, tremendous help, um, great resource in conducting this study. Uh, so uh, it's not normally applied to terminal lakes, but um, in this case it was and it had a pretty good result. Uh, also another thing worth mentioning, some of you might already be aware of this, uh, but uh, classes are available if you want to know more about HAZIS or want to learn, uh, deepen your HAZIS or GIS skills. You can apply for classes at uh, the National Emergency Training Center in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And there's a variety of courses you can take. Um, I would definitely go online and research that if you want to uh, learn more about that. So next slide. Uh, this, so where did the data come from in this project? Uh, well, there were three main data sources. Uh, a Corps of Engineers structural elevation sheet, uh, the property assessment book in Minnewaukan, and uh, actual individual property cards. So as with any GIS project, the data is going to be in a variety of formats, not the format so that it can be put into um, ArcGIS and so has this can uh, manipulate it. So uh, all this data collection really took about like eight months or so. And the information that I took from the property cards were square footage, uh, foundation type, whether the house, whether the structure had a basement or not, uh, little things like that from uh, uh, the property cards. The next slide, this is where we get into all the maps on the screen. Um, I, I, so I use purple circles to um, give the audience an idea of uh, the larger the circle, the higher the building dollar loss. Um, so at 1452 feet, you have a couple buildings damaged, and then 1453 feet, you see more uh, pop up on the northern and northwestern side. Uh, but all the roads are clear. Main Street is clear, um, the courthouse, uh, the post office, the school, all the important buildings are still clear. As you go up to 1454 feet and 1455 feet, you see more uh, of the water collecting on the ditches along the roads uh, and expanding towards the main entrance of the city. So um, you're seeing uh, how these, the difference in the water surface elevation. So 1456, 1457 is a pretty monumental elevation because that's when Main Street is submerged, the main road to get in and out of the city. So uh, that's one thing to keep in mind uh, for emergency management is, well, which roads are going to be damaged at which, um, which elevations. Uh, and so the way that these maps were produced, uh, there were technical methods within 
um, a SQL Server has this ArcGIS. Um, this is a blank Excel sheet when it started, and then it was converted to a Microsoft Access Geo database. And that was imported into ArcGIS, and then that those fields were linked up in Hazus. And after they were matched up, um, I attached flood depth grids to each study region, and um, and then ran the analysis from there. Um, so I know some of this can get pretty the maps on one slide. So just to kind of give um, the audience a spatial perspective of um, how, how, how many more buildings are damaged at each uh, rising elevation. So it can be really useful um, and also not only having the numbers but having the exact location and approximate um, value um, damage loss for that associated with that building. Uh, Okay, so just now we're on the conclusion slide, uh, and this picture is actually associated with uh, the school. That's the parking lot for the school, which is closest to the lake and uh, is projected to actually be flooded by this summer. Uh, that the school is the next thing to go in the city of Minnewauk and the next thing to be flooded to go under. Uh, so that's why. Um, Minnewaukan actually was awarded a $6 million grant to move the school. Uh, so there, you, you can see the, the urgency uh, with all this the spring flooding coming up and how much it's expected to rise. Uh, so there was approximately $1.9 million in building dollar losses at the worst case scenario, uh, 1460 feet water surface elevation. Now, this number seems a little bit low, and that's because um, the assessed value was used during the study. It wasn't, it wasn't the market value, it wasn't the retail value, it was the assessed value. And then also, uh, there were some, there were 23 property cards, there were 23 buildings that were tax exempt, which means that all that information, the foundation type, square footage, all that information isn't necessarily going to be on the property. Um, so next slide. Now we're on limitations. Um, this is a picture of one of the grain bins out in Minnewaukan. Um, this, this, the $1.9 million, that only included the building damages. It didn't include roads or any other uh, damages. Uh, and like I said, they were at the assessed value. Uh, and also, you know, Hazus is a loss estimation model. You can't take everything that Hazus produces in stone. You have to have, um, you know, a human mind interpret the results and decide what's important and what isn't. Uh, so any modeling software is going to have discrepancies. Uh, but because of the information we use from um, the, the, the courthouse, uh, the property cards and the LIDAR with the flood depth grids, um, it was the best available information for this study. So for future studies, I mean, there's really endless uh, possibilities of what you could um, buy a hazard study to. Um, uh, one example is applying it to other terminal lakes in Minnesota with lots of cabin development. You know, that's where everybody everybody will go in the summertime, and that's the place to be. And uh, people just kind of build, thinking their house will never get flooded. Uh, and there's kind of a false sense of security there. Uh, and also to uh, propose lakeshore management and lakeshore development guidelines. Um, so for acknowledgments, 
Um, just um, my committee was a huge help. Uh, Dr. Monkey and especially um, Jesse Rosell at FEMA uh, and Phil Moore at the Emergency Management Institute. Um, you know, together, this project is an excellent example of uh, geographers uh, working together uh, to, from a, at a university and the federal government um, to produce these results and to assist the citizens of Minnewaukee in, in, in their partial relocation. So, and then on the next slide, I have my references. And then now I will open up, uh, I will open it up to any questions any of you may have. Um, are there any questions on anything? Either has this technical related or Devil's Lake region in general? Tina? Yes. It's Paul Todd Hunter. Okay. I have a question. I should know the answer, but I don't. Um, you know, you created those uh, loss profiles of a number of buildings at different water surface elevations and uh, assessed value at different water surface elevations. Uh, you had the 23 properties that were tax exempt, so I, I assume they show up in the number of buildings uh, information, but not in the assessed value? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Tina, this is Zach. Um, I have a question for you. Um, why, uh, why is there no drainage being built, or, or what is the reason for um, the, the lack of a drainage channel or anything being done? Um, well, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this. Um, well, there, there's been lots of proposals to have, oh, we should have an outlet here, or uh, lots of different water management techniques. Uh, but it, it's kind of like water wars out west. It's a pretty hot topic, and... Uh, people get lawyers involved, and they don't want it in their backyard, and it, it's kind of a, a fight whenever there's a proposal like that. Uh, so it takes a while for things to get done. But there have been some U.S. Army Corps of Engineer projects where they'll take, they'll remove a foot of sediment um, from uh, the Tol, uh, from the Tolnacooley, which is the area where it would spill over into the Cheyenne River. So there have been little projects, but. As for, you know, creating anything specifically uh, for this upcoming spring, it, it, it takes a long time. It wouldn't happen right away. What's the water elevation currently? Currently, it's around 1,452 feet, and this summer it's projected to rise until 1,455 feet. So that, that's a pretty significant rise. Uh, to go up three feet, and you know, considering when the study was started, you know, it was at 1450, and it's already going to be at four, projected to be at 1455 this summer. I mean, that that's just incredible that it's it's the lake has risen this much, and also to take into account, you know, there have been over five there have been five presidential disaster declarations in less than 20 years, um, over 500 homes. And 650 structures have been damaged. Um, I mean, the, the lake has just expanded at too much of a rapid rate for um, for for a lot of these um, management techniques. Uh, again, you know, it's gone up 29 feet since 1993. That, that's pretty incredible. And and my prediction is that it will keep. Uh, it's going to keep rising. And Minnewaukee is already in the process of doing a partial relocation. So. Um, you know, a couple years ago, it was 
an idea to have partial relocation, and a lot of people weren't really for it. But now that it's right on their doorstep, people are you know kind of scrambling to to get to get everything moved. Great. Any other questions? What, what's the pushback from a full like a total relocation? Why don't they just you know get everybody back out of there? Oh, uh, well, I, you know, they, it goes with the kind of the age-old debate of, well, people don't want to move. They always want to have Minnewaukan as a town. Um, but I think I think it is going to come to that. And a lot of, some people have taken FEMA buyouts. Um, other people, they've gotten grants to move certain buildings. Um, it, it's really just all personal preference on uh, whether they want to relocate. And the area where they're looking at relocating is, about a mile, just a mile west of the town, um, above 1460 feet. So that's above the worst-case scenario that I have in the presentation. Uh, and Devil's Lake has a strict no-building policy. You're not allowed to build below 1460 feet. So because they're above that restriction, you, you know, they can expand and make the town a little bit better and try to uh, draw more tourists in for fishing. So... Um, they, they have a lot of plans in place that they want to that they want to capitalize on, uh, and they'll be able to do that if they do a partial relocation. How, how, how high does the will the lake have to get before it basically uh, runs its banks and, and then just finds its uh, its course downstream to the nearest river? Um, it will be fourteen fifty eight feet. So it'll be about uh, six feet higher than what it is now. And that's when it'll spill into the Tolna Coulee and into the Cheyenne River. And that would just have a pretty devastating flooding effect um, for Valley City and eventually to Fargo. I mean, it, it would really affect all of uh, eastern, northeast North Dakota. Uh, so 1450. I think they're probably concerned about the salinity of that as well. Yes, yes. It is a very salty lake, um, so, and, but that's also another reason why walleye, while it, while it brings uh, so many fishermen in, it's because it's so saline, the fish have adapted to it and just uh, populated all over the place, so that, that brings in the, the tourism. So yeah, and there have also been um, uh, some conversations going on between Canada and North Dakota. Uh, because because of how saline the water is, and um, you know, kind of, it, it it all goes back to how do you contain, how do you manage this lake at at such an alarming rate with how it's expanding. Very cool stuff. Um, anyone else have any questions? Uh, uh, thank you very much, Tina, for uh, for uh, doing this for us today and presenting it to us and all. It's pretty hey, pretty interesting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We'll see you, Tina. All right. Yep. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Bye. So uh, just to, to wrap up the call. Um, the caller. Paul Todd Hunter. Has left the conference. And uh, share some information with you all. Um, the uh, annualized loss um, for the Hazus project um, is very close to being wrapped up. Um, the final report is uh, in the hands of FEMA now, and um, they're, they're doing some final reviews on it. So uh, if that's some um, data that you're looking for, it should be available very soon. Um, 
but just uh, some final little kinks that are being worked out and all, and then I'd say within, I'm not going to give a time frame, but let's just say very soon it, it should be uh, available to everyone who, uh, who wants access to it, to the data and all, so. Uh, anyone have any questions or anything else for, for Christina or in general? Zach, this is Brenda. Do you know when you'll be having your next call? I'm um, not sure. Uh, we'll we'll send out a, a, an email notice before the next call. So uh, I'm not sure when it'll be. I would say probably uh, maybe a month or so. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, well, I thank you everyone for, for joining us and um, uh, yeah, hope, to, hope to talk to you next time and everything goes well for you. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. Thanks, guys. The call